Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to The Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going to be diving right back into the Gospel of Luke as concerning the Advent narrative from this perspective. Uh, we're going to be picking up where we left off yesterday in verse number 18 as we discovered the conversation that began with the angels speaking to Zechariah. As you recall, he was standing on the right side of the, the altar of incense, and that when Zechariah was there to, to make offering of prayers for the people, and that they were outside of the temple of the people were, and, and that they were praying alongside of this offering, that, that their prayers would be heard and that the prayer of Zechariah in specific would be heard as concerning the desire for a child that would be fulfilled by the Lord as revealed by this angel that they were going to have a son, that they were going to name him John, that he was going to be the front runner to the Messiah and that he would make introduction to the Messiah to the whole world. Uh, and, and, of course, this was going to be a fairly shocking amount of news for Zechariah to have to, to take in. And there's a couple of other points that I want to make just before we really dive into this, this message today. So beforehand, I want to turn to the Lord in prayer, asking for his blessing. So, Father, we are thankful for all that you have done for what you're going to do today in revelation of those events that would take place that would bring forth the King of Kings. We pray, Father, that you will help us to understand and receive these blessings from you, and we are grateful for the chance to be able to celebrate them together here at the corner in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, guys, so there's a couple of things that I really want to kind of cover as well is, is the, the concept of the scripture as, as being understood that, that when Zechariah is praying for a child, no doubt he's lifting up the prayers of the saints of, uh, of Israel, prayers for Israel entirely as he's gone in there. This is a part of their, their ceremonies during this period of time that they burn the, the altar of incense and lift up the prayers of the people. But for a son, it's something that has been very personal to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And, and at the granting of the birth of this child, this is something that God has known uh, for a very long time, as it was revealed that Zechariah and Elizabeth were both old, and, and in their years they knew that at their age it would be impossible for that, them to have children. So the desire for children to be born as, Zach, as Elizabeth's womb has been closed this whole time, the desire for a child to be born would be, be recognized that in their younger years when they were able to be of that childbearing age that they were desiring this. And so this is something that God has kept in, in store for a purpose that he has in the fulfillment of their lives to bring forth John and for his life to reveal the Messiah that is to come. So it's very important to realize that, that you just keep praying. There's, a, there's an acronym that's out there. It's called PUSH. And PUSH, as you use it as an acronym, it stands for pray until something happens. And so that's kind of exciting because just because you haven't seen the things that you pray for come to pass yet doesn't mean that God isn't actively working through the prayers that you're making. It just means that it wasn't God's time yet for the fulfillment of those things that you are talking to him about. And sometimes, of course, the answer of God is no. Of course, we get that. But a lot of times, it's just simply the revelation that it isn't God's time yet. In other words, you are asking things that God is planning to fulfill 
It just hasn't done it at this moment of time because it isn't the time that he has planned yet, but it will come to pass, just like the birth of John here. So we pick up in, in verse number 18 and following of the scriptures, and we see this. And Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well stricken in years. Now keep in mind that well stricken in years means that time hadn't been kind to either of us. Well stricken means good and beaten up <laughs> in years. Uh, the simple truth of it in, in the modern English tongue is we're old, <laughs> we're ancient. Uh, and the angel answering, in verse number 19, the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel. So, of course, you hear me mentioning the fact that it's Gabriel talking to everybody. Now you have the introduction of Gabriel so that you know. And Gabriel often you're going to find being in direct communication. It was Gabriel that came to Daniel on several occasions and spoke to Daniel uh, as a messenger from God as well. So uh, throughout the scriptures, you're going to see that Gabriel's a pretty busy fellow. Even though Michael, uh, the, the archangel Michael, is recognized being the protector of Israel on behalf of God, is a mighty warrior who defends and fights for Israel uh, all the time, yet Gabriel is often the spokesman that's showing up. It's, it's Gabriel who spoke to Joseph in his dreams. It's Gabriel whom we're going to meet speaking with, with Mary in the instructions that are given. And of course, Gabriel here with Zechariah. So he's a pretty, pretty important character that comes into the Bible throughout the, the both Testaments. And so that you see that the angel answering, he said, I am Gabriel that stands in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto you and to show you these glad tidings. Now, the, the word glad tidings is, is the phrase good news, and the phrase good news is translated often as the gospel. And so uh, this is what Gabriel has come to bring to Zechariah is his gospel, the good news, the deliverance of his people, not just from a captivity of Rome, but from the captivity of sin entirely. As understanding that, that just being captive to a, a nation or being captive to a people, though it is tough and though it is hateful, though it is it is horrible to have to think about being captive, but nothing pales in comparison to sin. Sin is the very thing that draws our, our end unto death. Sin will separate us from God for eternity. Sin is that which is going to, to cause us an eternal perishing. And so God, as much as he does deliver us from the current circumstances of nations and of, 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 of mankind that is evil against mankind, though those, those moments do happen and you've seen throughout Scripture, the goal of God is eternal deliverance. The goal of God is, is eternal forgiveness. Everything that God does is done in an eternal estate to deliver us from death unto everlasting life, to deliver us from the, the prince of the power of the air and the current kingdoms of this earth unto a kingdom in heaven that is established for 
God's children. And so it's very important to realize that, that when you receive this glad tidings, the glad tidings that they're getting is of a Savior who is going to save them from their sin, a deliverer who's going to translate them from being the children in bondage under the prince of the power of the air here as being children of disobedience of Ephesians chapter number 2 from verses 1 to 3 unto being the children of God is revealed in John chapter number 1 beginning in verse number 12 it says to as many of them as believed to them he gave the power to become the children of God and so it's very important to realize that indeed there's no greater news than to know that you have been transformed by the renewing of your mind as revealed in Romans 12 1 and 2 that you are no longer under bondage in captivity of sin, but that you can now come to a knowledge of the perfect and acceptable and good will of God through the scriptures and learn to live your life as pleasing the Lord and know that at that time that you meet your end, rather it be at the trumpet blast and you jump up off of this earth and head on to the clouds of the air, or you are separated from this body as it returns to the corruption that it came from in, in the resemblance of death and that your spirit is is in the throne room of God awaiting the return of the clouds of the air. Either way, in either period of time, you know that you have the blessing of that salvation which has been promised to you in Christ Jesus because of the forgiveness of your sins through the blood of Christ and the receiving of him as your Savior. There's no greater news than that. And that is the news that is proclaimed by the angel in this moment. So he comes down and he says in verse 20, Behold, you shall, you shall be uh, speechless. In, in the King James language, it says you shall be dumb. But that word dumb there, it doesn't mean that he's going to be struck with stupidity. It means that he's not going to be able to speak, and and so he's going to be struck speechless and not able to speak as defined there in verse number 20, the next after the comma. Until the day that these things shall be performed, you're not going to be able to speak because, listen to this, this is very powerful. This this is the, the leeway that the angel Gabriel had received of the Lord to be able to do the work of the Lord in this moment. He says that you're not going to be able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed because you did not believe my words. You see, now th this is the interesting thing, which, by the way, at the finish of verse 20, it says, which shall be fulfilled in their season. So it's very important to realize that God has a purpose, God has a plan, that plan will be fulfilled, and, and mankind often is going to shy away from the plan of God. Man is often going to be afraid to, to get in and participate in the plan of God because it, it's very frightening to man. It's, it's the holy things of God that are eternal, that, that, that finite and broken sinful man gets the privilege of being able to serve in. And that oftentimes is going to be a little bit frightening, no doubt. I mean, you find the same thing with Moses, as God calls Moses to go back unto Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Of course, Moses was trying to figure out a way in which he could get around that. Moses was trying to to find, you know, God, I'm, I'm not a good speaker. I, d I don't know what to do, wouldn't, wouldn't know what to say. I, I have problems with my speech. 
And in every way, God had to fix that. He said, okay, we'll get Aaron. And I'll tell you, you tell Aaron, Aaron will tell the people. That, that sort of thing God had to cover. So you have the same situation that's happening with Zechariah because here, here as he, he discovers that his prayers have been answered, right? He's going to have a son. Instead of being overjoyed at the reality that God is now going to bless this, this prayer that's been there for a long time, he freaks out. And, and, and he freaks out because, I mean, you know, I'm old. My wife's old. We're going to have this kid. She's going to die in childbirth. I mean, if you, if you go through the natural conclusion of the things that you could think about uh, as concerning their age and the fact that they're going to have a child. I mean, I was warned after the birth of, of my youngest son, my, my only son, but the youngest, Isaac, uh, that, that if we were to have any more children, that it could put my wife's life in detriment because of, of the, the complications that came at the last pregnancy. And so you can understand that, that you know, as soon as I read th this event and, and the argument that Zechariah has in part with this angel to say, but we're both really old, is, is the reality that as soon as he discovers that, he's, that, that this angel says in prophecy, you're going to have the son, that, that Zechariah immediately thinks of his wife. He's like, well, I'm old, she's old, we're both uh, well-stricken in years. Uh, will we be able to, to live to see the, the age of this child through? We're going to bring this child into the world and we're both going to die. What's going to happen with this child? My wife could die in the birthing process. I mean, you know, that there's all kinds of different challenges that are, that are coming out about this, this, this situation. And the angel just simply says, you know what, because you, you are not going to do or that you're not going to believe that which I said, I'm going to strike you with an inability to speak uh, because you didn't, you didn't believe me. And you're going to see this come to pass, by the way, at the end. It says, which shall be fulfilled in their season. It means you, it's going to happen. You're going to have this child, and, and you're going to be able to speak at the fulfillment of all of these things so that you know that God has done this mighty thing. And, and, and that's pretty powerful by itself. And so you, you get a glimpse of what's happening outside of the temple now. We understand what's happening inside of the temple in the holy place at the altar of incense with the altercation between Zechariah and Gabriel. But while he's in there offering the incense, there's a whole pile of people outside of the temple waiting for Zacharias and, and they're shocked because generally speaking, with the liturgy of, of the activities, with the, with the ceremony of the ritual, I mean, he's going to go in there, he's going to light the incense, he's going he's gonna to say his uh, established prayers, you know, these prayers that would be established, these works that would be done, these incense that would be lit, that would be lifted up, and he would come out and everything would be as normal. It's not the case at all. What happens is, is in this altercation between Zechariah and, and, and Gabriel, you've got the issue where the people are going, what in the world is taking him so long? All he has to do is go in there and, and, and do the altar of incense. But note the fact that nobody's going in to check on him because it's just a God moment. It's a God moment where, where they're left outside. They're not going to be able to enter in. Anybody who would think to go in and check on him wasn't going to be able to go in there because this was a moment that was private to Gabriel and Zechariah, and that's the way God works sometimes. So in verse 21, it says that people waited for Zechariah and marveled that he took so long in the temple. And, and verse 22, when he came out, 
Of course, everybody's going to have questions for him of what in the world's going on, but when he came out, he couldn't speak. Now, something amazing must have happened inside of that temple, right? In order for him to be struck to a position to where he can't speak about it, well, he couldn't speak at all. So they said in verse 22 that they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. For he beckoned unto them, but he remained speechless. In other words, he tried to explain what was going on. I mean, keep in mind that the angel told him he wasn't going to be able to speak, but did he really take the angel seriously? I mean, you're having this conversation with this angel, and they tell you you're not going to be able to talk until the, the, the things that were discussed would come to pass. And of course, you're looking at a position of not being able to speak at that point for nine months because this would be the prophecy of the beginning of the birth. And so Zechariah, not fully understanding everything that's just happened to him and not fully understanding uh, the, the, or believing, I should say, not fully believing those things which he had been told, as he goes outside, his belief starts getting really real because his mouth is running, but there's no sound coming out of him. He can't speak. He can't, he can't make noise to be able to formulate the words. There's nothing coming out of the guy, right? So the people said, we perceive that he's seen a vision in the temple. Of course he's seen a vision in the temple. He was standing right in front of an angel. <laughs> but it wasn't a vision. It was a literal conversation between, between Zechariah and heaven through the, the mediator of this angel, Gabriel. And so he says, We've, he's seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. No matter what he tried to do to be able to explain the experience that he had received, he was speechless. And so verse 23 says, It came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his house. Needless to say that, that he finished off the work, and, and keep in mind the priesthood. Now, Zechariah was, was of the Sadduceeical order. And what that means is that Zechariah was a priest of the order of Aaron. Of course, from Aaron, there were a couple of different priesthoods that got corrupt and were removed by God. But when it comes to Babylon, there was a group of people under Zadok. They were known as the Zadokim, which I've talked about several times before. And, and, and Zechariah would come from the, that, that section of Abiah of the Zadokim, or from the priesthood of Zadok, which is connected to Aaron. And so, uh, very important to understand that, because John, as taking the occupation of his father, would be entering into the Sadduceeical order himself, as being a priest under that order. Which is exciting, because Jesus does have a priesthood, as well as a royalty, as, as much as he is the king under the line of his father Joseph, he is also a priest under the line of his mother going all the way back to Melchizedek. And the priesthood of, of Jesus is a greater priesthood able to provide better sacrifice than the priesthood of Aaron because Aaron's priesthood was that of the law established by the law and under the law whereas Jesus was of Melchizedek apart from the law and and of the kingdom of peace and so that that's kind of an important connection between the two and it says that it came to pass that his ministry was complete so under the Sadduceeical order which was the the, the line of Aaron 
they had a three-month rotation. For three months, they they come in, they would offer sacrifice. The only person who stayed at the temple as a yearly uh, occupation was the high priest. But the rest of the priesthood would, would change out every three months, and it would go through the different tribes, through the 12 tribes of the Levites that would be connected to those tribes as recognizing that the 12 tribes would serve the Lord. And so they, they would have their priesthood change out. So Zechariah rode the rest of the administration that he had during his period of time, and then when he departed back to his house, uh, he, he, he was there. He wasn't able to go back into the ministry until after his healing from his speechlessness because it would be considered defiled. And so that said that he departed to his own house and speechless. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months. Now, after those days, after the days of the completion of his work in the temple. So it's very important to understand with this as well, is, is that her pregnancy did not happen until after Zechariah got done with the work that he had at the temple. So he was mute from the time that he spoke to the angel and would remain mute for the whole pregnancy of the child until the delivery. And, and she was not going to be able to conceive until Zechariah was done with the work he was doing in Jerusalem at the temple and was able to go home. So, so uh, it's interesting that he would have been mute for a period of time even before being able to come together with his wife for her to be able to conceive. That's kind of funny if you think about it. Is that after those days, that period of time, while he was still in the temple until he came home, his wife Elizabeth conceived. Now, she hid herself five months. And number five, which is really exciting, but the number five recognized Hebrew is, is grace is what it's going to ultimately come down to, or favor with God. And so her hiding herself for five months, look what she says, and let's consider the favor of God in this. Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. So she, for these five months that, that she hides herself away in, the hiding of herself isn't because she's ashamed of being pregnant, but it's because she has such a, a, a rejoicing in the Lord that, that she's spending this five months just glorifying in, in the blessing that God has given to her. The fact that she's pregnant is is to remove that that resemblance or that symbol of reproach that the whole village would have because she was barren so they would consider her as to be second rate or to be a defective somehow they would never blame the man even though it very easily could have been the seed of Zechariah that was not functioning correctly and that her womb was just fine but it was always blamed to the woman as having a closed-off womb because nobody, I mean, the men weren't going to blame themselves. And so the society often looked to a woman that couldn't get pregnant as it being her fault and, and ultimately being ashamed to the husband, much like it was with, with Hannah. You recall uh, Hannah and, and the fact that, that she was unable to be pregnant and she prayed unto the Lord and, and Eli, the priest during that period of time, thought that she was a drunk and, and was chastising her, but he discovered that she was praying unto the Lord and Eli said, well, be it unto you as you have prayed to the Lord. 
and and she was able to bear Samuel, who then at the book of First and Second Samuel, who would then give her son back unto the Lord, uh, for for the glory that God had opened her womb and removed her reproach before the community. Well, the same thing is true here with Elizabeth, that now she is with child, that God has found, that she has found rather favor before God, that he has blessed her in opening her womb and allowing her to carry this child, that she's just for five months just rejoicing, just absolutely thrilled over the, the blessing of God. And, and it comes down and, and says that God has dealt with me in this manner, that he has blessed me and removed my reproach, and, and hallelujah for that. And so that is the opportunity of coming to know the entrance of the forerunner to the Messiah. This is how we see John being born. John the Baptist is what he's ultimately going to be called because of the work of baptism that he's doing to, to ultimately reveal the Messiah as it was shown in John, the Gospel of John in chapter number 1. Uh, beginning in verse number 29, when he saw Jesus coming over the hillside and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, explains what Jesus' ministry is going to be, then baptizes him. And so that's where he got the name John the Baptist. Doesn't mean he was connected to a, 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 a denomination called Baptist. That's kind of foolish. Being as that he was the last of the Old Testament prophets, who would reveal uh, the coming of the Messiah through the work that he would have been given by the Lord. So that's pretty important. So take no, take no offense that, that he was called Baptist. It's just the job that he was doing to reveal the Messiah. So it comes down, and, and we understand the importance of his birth. And it was necessary for him to come first. It was necessary for, for him to come through Zechariah and Elizabeth to have a connection to the, the, the priesthood under Aaron. It was necessary for all of these, these blocks to fall into place in order for the Messiah to come. Now we're going to move forward to the discussion that Gabriel is now going to meet with Mary, and we're going to see... The discussion of the of the covenant that God makes with man and bringing forth Messiah into the world, absolutely awesome. Not going to get through it, by the way, but that's what tomorrow is for too. So, in verse number twenty six, we now have a separation from this moment where where she has conceived, and for five months. Keep in mind, Elizabeth has has been with child for five months because in the sixth month. We're about to have a visit to Elizabeth from the mother of her Lord. And that's going to be exciting. So uh, it's going to come down in verse number 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, it's very important that she's already espoused. This is something that's already happened. All the building blocks, remember, they're falling into place. So Mary now has been promised to the man that God has chosen for her for the purpose of protecting her and his son, a righteous and an upright man, not of his own stature, but of his faith toward God. So these are the blessings that she, she has. And the angel of the Lord, in verse 28, the angel of the Lord came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Now, 
what is being said here is in recognition to the the power of God in in the choosing of Mary as a vessel that is pure and and as a vessel that God already knows is willing to serve him and and God already has all of this figured out now the greeting of the angel is that first he calls Mary highly favored indeed she is and that she has that she is going to be the very vessel of of earth that will bring forth the earth connection of his only begotten son right and he says that you are blessed among women well there's no question i mean she is going to be the vessel that is chosen to bring forth the messiah into the world and at that by a supernatural means of a conception without a man so that's really exciting to understand those two things and without question, God is with her. And in verse 29, the, the, expect, the expected outcome of, of a greeting like that, verse 29, when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. The, the truth is, she was scared out of her wits, okay? I mean, a, a guy popped up and started talking to you that, that you didn't know was completely unexpected, and, and you're, you're feeling very vulnerable at this point, and you're very confused because this person is all just, just dove right into the conversation with talking about God. You don't know where he's going with this. And so when, he, when she saw him, she, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this would be. Now, cast in her mind. The important thing about understanding in her mind is that there was nothing coming out of Mary. Mary, though she may have had an external reaction of, of being, being uh, pulled back and, and frightened initially of this, this uh, just instant greeting that came out of nowhere, but much of Mary is internal. She, she isn't one who's going to burst out and start yelling or screaming or, 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 or talking or anything like this. She's holding all of these things. She's harboring in, them in her heart, which is the exciting part because this angel being, being an, a, a messenger of the Lord is going to be able to know what Mary's thinking, not because the angel is reading her thoughts, but because God is going to be in constant communication to this angel over the thoughts of Mary. And so that's very important to understand. The angels themselves do not have power to know what you're thinking, but God knows what you're thinking. The angel is in direct connection to God, so there is a, a communication that can happen instantaneously between God and the angel that mankind cannot hear, but the angel hears just fine. And so the angel seems as though he's able to read the mind of Mary to be able to know that she's scared and to tell her fear not. But the reality is, is that the angel is only telling her exactly what he's receiving in real time with God. So that's kind of important to realize. So the angel said to her in verse number 30, Do not fear, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And it goes on, the angel says, Behold, you shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Of course, that word Jesus, again, we've discussed this. Uh, the word Jesus, where we get that from in English, is from the Latin of Iesu, which is uh, from Latin into Greek, Iesu, which is from the Greek, drawing from Hebrew, Yeshua. And that's what his name is in Hebrew. So, sorry I had to take you all the way through Latin and Greek to get back to Hebrew where we belong, but his name is Yeshua. And, and when he tells her this, listen to what he actually is saying to her. 
You shall conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Salvation. That is very powerful to Mary as she's hearing this right now. You can imagine. He goes on because Jesus, by the way, before I finish that statement, Jesus means salvation in Hebrew. And of course, Mary is is a a Hebrew person. I'm not going to say Mary was necessarily a Jew or Jewish because... uh, she was living in Galilee. She was living in Nazareth, and that is the northern tribes of Israel. The Jews who are the Jewish are Judeans, and they would be of the tribe of Judah down in the southern kingdom. Now, her husband Joseph indeed was a Jew, and of course we discover that that her lineage is Jewish as well, but no one would have known the wiser, for both of them had grown up and were raised there in Galilee, so they would have been assumed to have been Galileans, not Judeans. So that's kind of an important point to make. But of course, at the at the census of Quirinius, then, then Joseph had to return unto the land of his nativity or the land that, that he was connected to by tribe. And Joseph and Mary pack up and they go down to Bethlehem, which is of the tribe of Judah. That's that connection there. Uh, anyways, it goes down and he says that, that you shall call his name Jesus. And in verse number 32, it says, He shall be great, he shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Now, this is prophecy of the, of the king at this point, isn't it? And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. In other words, your son's going to come into the world, and then he's not going to leave. He's going to be forever, eternal, uh, the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Right there, verse number 33, in the prophecy of the coming of Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter number 9. And and, uh, what would be what? Verse number 6 there and following, and that the, the government will be upon his shoulders, and of his government there shall be no end. And so this is a direct fulfillment of Isaiah chapter number 9. Now in verse number 34, it says, And Mary said unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing that I've never been with a man? And it's a fair question. Whereas Zechariah doubted, the angel Gabriel and was struck with not being able to speak or was made mute until the birth of, of John. The the questioning that Mary has is is quite legitimate in that it's not not it's not that she's not believing in what she's being told. She just doesn't doesn't understand the process of how it could possibly come to pass, being as that the only the only time they've ever seen children come into the world is through uh, the the marriage process of a man and woman coming together from marriage to bring forth children. So she's asking a legitimate question at this point, saying, "How in the world is this possible? Being is that I have never been with a man." And the angel, in his his reply to her, is something that's so very exciting. It says, The Holy Ghost shall come upon you, and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of you shall be called the Son of God. And to the point that Jesus is literally going to be the manifestation of God and man. And in 
this earth. So the Holy Spirit is going to enter into the womb of Mary and the authority of the Father is going to work through the Holy Spirit to begin the cellular process of, of division within the, the egg of Mary to produce a body. And, and within that body is going to be the, 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 the very person of the Holy Spirit contained in that flesh. And so, so the flesh that begins to, to grow into the human being that would, that would be of, of the flesh of Mary, essentially, growing the arms and legs and eyes and ears and nose and mouth that's going to be coming through Mary into the world and be named Jesus, is, is 100% God and that within that vessel is the fullness of, of the Godhead and the Holy Spirit within him. But in connection to mankind, he's 100% man as coming through the womb of Mary and born in the flesh. So very powerful to think about Jesus in the framework of of him being absolutely God as well as absolutely man. And it's, it's not fully understandable to us in this finite mind in this world but i hope that i've at least explained it to a fair understanding of how the process works inside of the womb up for mary for the holy spirit and the recognition of the 100 percent god part of jesus as being the very spirit of jesus in sinless estate uh, as being begotten of the Father through his authority and that, that the Holy Spirit is, is enveloped within that body of flesh that would come forth from the womb of Mary, connecting Jesus to humanity and to mankind as, as being the mediator between both God and man at that point. And, and so the Holy Ghost shall come upon you and the power of the highest shall overshadow you and, and the very child that is born of you is not the son of Joseph. It's, it's not even the son of Mary. It's the son of God. And that's kind of important because, uh, like in the Catholic faith and in other people, uh, other faiths that I've heard, they, they call Mary the mother of God. And that's not true. That's a false statement and a misnomer to, be, to boot. Never in the scriptures does it, does it reveal Jesus being the son of Mary or the son of Joseph. This is, he is known as the Son of God because though Mary be the vessel that God had chosen to wrap his son in the body of flesh and bring him forth into the world, uh, the very purpose of that was for him to be the Lamb of God, to be able to take the sin of the world upon him and die uh, for mankind. So that's kind of important to understand. But as much as that Mary was chosen as the vessel of God to bring forth the Son through, as she was a pure vessel and, and an, an unmarred uh, vessel as was for him to be able to utilize for his work, never would she be able to carry the, the title of anything other than the mother of Jesus this, in, in his flesh. She was not the mother of God. Okay, so it's very important. And by the way, she submitted herself to Jesus just as all the other disciples submitted themselves to Jesus is recognizing that indeed, though she be the mother of his flesh, she is not the mother of God, that she is a servant of God. She submitted himself, herself to her son. So it's very important to understand. 
But this angel, he goes on to tell her that not only will he be called the son of God, but he, he, the angel reveals the front runner to her son, Jesus. He says in verse 36, Behold, your cousin Elizabeth, shall, she has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And that's, that's kind of a key phrase right there in verse number 37. With God, nothing shall be impossible. Keep in mind that, that it was impossible as concerning the, the work of man on the earth for Elizabeth to be able to bear a child, yet she has a child. It would be entirely impossible for, for a virgin to be able to bring forth a son, and yet Mary is going to be pregnant as well. So we see that with man, any of these things would be entirely impossible to, to happen, but with God, all things are possible. And so he comes down in verse number 38 and says, And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the submissive attitude that Mary has that God already knows about. Of course, we talked about the foreknowledge of God as dealing with Joseph as, as concerning from, from the time that Joseph came into the world that he was the plan of God to be connected to Mary. And as Mary was born into the world, that, that she was going to be given unto Joseph. I mean, all of these things had to come to pass uh, that God may be able to, to carry out his plan. And so these things were going to happen. And so for her to submit to the Lord was a no-brainer before God. He knew that she was going to do that. But she didn't know she was going to do that. And so the conversation is necessary. And oftentimes there are things that we do for the Lord that we had no idea that we were capable or that we had even planned to do ahead of time so that God would have to communicate with us and, and through our prayer times and through the Word of God to convict us and to move us and to shape us into those things that we need to become. But it was all foreknown by God. He, he knew it before it was going to happen. He knew it before you were even born because that is the omniscience and that is the sovereignty of our Lord and Savior. So needless to say, Mary submitted unto him and the thing was done. So, tomorrow we're going to pick up with a very sweet place in Scripture, beginning in verse number 39 of Luke chapter 1, and we're going to have the visit of Mary to Elizabeth. And there's a lot of great things that come out of that visit. It's a beautiful time uh, in connection, and then we'll talk about that, that uh, interlink between Matthew chapter number 1 and and Joseph and Mary at, at the time of the birth of John when Mary returns back unto her family. And, of course, we have to pull that together. So all of that tomorrow, needless to say today, just to rejoice in this one very statement that was made here in verse number 37 to understand that with God, nothing is impossible. Let's praise the Lord. Father, we are thankful, asking your blessing be upon us that we may rejoice today in that which we have received. And in the conversation between Zechariah and, and Gabriel, and as well between Mary and Gabriel, the rejoicing of our souls to see that, that your plan shall come to fruition and that you execute your plan and your timing, and it is perfect. We thank you and praise you for this gift of the Word of God today, in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right, guys, God bless you, keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, and I'll catch you tomorrow for the visitation of Mary and Elizabeth. Y'all take care.